Hello, and welcome to this special series of episodes called 29 Days of Magic. During Black History Month, the month of February, I'll be interviewing a Black woman a day who's from business and entrepreneurship. You name it, I'm going to have a chat with her. The idea for this is to show off the amazingness of Black women throughout various industries. I hope you take a listen, like, share, review, and be inspired by these incredible stories. Take a listen. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the Cultural Communications Agency, The Flash. Each episode, I bring a different business leader who's doing some game-changing work. And I'm so excited to have Stacey Ryan Cornelius, who's the global CFO of Ogilvy. We're talking about advertising agency, her unique career, how to navigate all that crazy world of advertising, and so much more. It's going to be a great conversation. Take a listen. Hey, Stacy. Hey, Laura. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm psyched to have you here. Uh, I'm good. You know, causing trouble as usual. That's my middle name. Wouldn't expect uh, it. <laughs> how is it everyone says this whenever I say it? Like, what is it about me that gives off, yes, I will cause trouble, vibes? <laughs> it's all the energy. It's all good. <laughs> That's, that is true. Um, so as you probably heard, the podcast first question is always the same. So Stacy, what was your first job? So I was a bit of an entrepreneur um, as a young woman. And um, there's always, you know, kind of your first job that in your head and the one you kind of got a, a W-2 for in terms of how that all worked out. But, um, you know, when I was 12 years old, my sister, my older sister, who's about six and a half, seven years older than me, worked as a cashier in our locally gro- local grocery store. And I used to hang out with her all the time there. And I saw there were like, you know, little boys packing groceries. And I saw that the customers was giving them money, you know, to pack their bags. And I thought, well, hell, I could do that, you know. So I put on some clothes that didn't necessarily identify myself um, as, as a girl wasn't very um a little bit of a late bloomer so that was easy and uh, put a hat on with my hat turned backward and my sister was a very fast cashier and I was back in the days when you had to actually punch the things in it wasn't a scanner and the two of us kind of just cleaned up so and then what happened was um my hat fell off one day and so a customer found out that I was a woman and I got more money and I was like well this is great so I started to work the fact that I was a girl and and just started to do that and kind of fell in love with you know, being in a grocery store and eventually worked there, became a cashier when I was of age and then um, a bookkeeper there. So that was kind of my first real gig in terms of earning money. <laughs> so wait a minute, this is a movie. You try to tell me that you impersonated a small boy to get money as a bagger of groceries. And then you figured out that actually there was a female premium by being a girl who, who bagged groceries and raked them even more cash. There you go. <laughs> opportunity, <laughs> opportunity, opportunity. <laughs> uh, I, I, that is, okay, that is one of the best ones I've ever heard. <laughs> like, the start of my strategic career. <laughs> I, was actually like, I was like, that is strategy, execution, and then improvement on strategy for even bigger returns. I mean, really, Stacey, you literally set the stage for where you are today at 12. Like, wow. And to this day, I can't stand the way people pack bags. So my <laughs> husband always lets me do it because I just have an issue. 
Because <laughs> you're like, this is not how it works. Like, this is okay. not. So, so the one, have you, do you go to Trader Joe's and be like, I will just bag these because you Yeah, no, I go and I, I like to do my own. Yeah, I like to do my own. I don't like for them to do it because they just don't do it right. <laughs> wow. My other, that... pet peeve, my other pet peeve when I, because I was a bookkeeper, you had to put all the money in a certain, they all had to be going the same way. So even now, if you look at my wallet, all of my money goes the same way. I can't have it be turned around or not aligned the same way because I used to have to package it that way to send it to the bank um, when the armored card used to come. So I had to make sure that it was all aligned. So I still do that with my own personal money today. <laughs> um, there are so many things there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's like, um, you know, it's again, it's always so fascinating where folks go when they say what their first job is, because it always correlates to what they do now. Like it's in some way, shape, or form. It's like you were trusted with money yep. and you had a strategic plan and you executed their plan and you improved upon their plan. Yep. And now, um, as someone who's CFO, I believe that that sort of falls in your purview, Mrs. Smith. It does. It does. <laughs> so there you go, which is wild. Okay, so you go from being a child entrepreneur to now. What's that journey like? So, I mean, to your point, was fairly focused. Um, knew I wanted, you know, it was more of the bookkeeping piece that I thought I wanted, or the traditional think ways of accounting um, that I initially fell in love with. So, when I was in high school, I was fortunate enough to take. Uh, college courses um, at LIU in the high school I went into where I took accounting and business law there and then again fell in love with more of the, the, the journal entry bookkeeping piece of it didn't really understand what more there was to do with it until I went into college and I, I stayed local for college I went to Baruch um, uh, and loved it since it's such a predominant business school it gave me such a well-rounded education and it was also you were kind of you know work working and learning in, in New York, you know, so the environment was always there. So, you know, they had a very good career advisor office. And I got, you know, one of my first jobs, you know, out of the, out of Key Food was at Drexel Burnham, actually. Um, and I was there when it went into bankruptcy. So I got to see that whole demise. And that was interesting. So that was a learning experience. Um, and then I went to work for a small CPA firm doing taxes and realized that I hated taxes. Uh, so, <laughs> Understandable. You're like, no, thank you. Exactly. So that was that journey. Um, you know, you're kind of going through bits by bits. And then, you know, back in the day, everybody was like, you got to go public. You know, if you want to have any sort of uh, a career, I wanted to be a CPA. So, you know, took the exam, did well and started working for what was then Price Waterhouse, which is now Price Waterhouse Coopers. And was fortunate enough to be put into the entertainment media um, and communications group, which was great because I have such a creative flavor. So one of the um, sort of nuances I would say about me in particular is like I do what I do. I don't think I would enjoy doing it as much if I was in financial services or, you know, that that end of the spectrum. I love being in creative environments. So I've always been the one who were who was in productions. I was a dancer as a kid. I like to put on shows. I like to put on my kids shows. Um, I was a Girl Scout troop leader and I did like the fashion shows. Like I always like to be in the mix of the creative um, experience. So I was thrilled when I was putting the entertainment media and communications group and started to learn about that area of the business. And, you know, it's all size. So I had clients like MTV and, you know, I met Big Bird at Children's Television Workshop. But then I also did law firms and not-for-profits like the New York Philharmonic was one of my clients. 
Um, and of course, YNR um, was my client at the time too. So that's where I started to learn about advertising. And, um, you know, I was doing audit um, there and, you know, kind of thought initially like everybody, I was going to do the two years and out, but then fell in mm-hmm. love with the theory of accounting at that point. It was no longer debits and credits. It was like, what's the best answer? Um, and when I got into that part of it, I really got hooked. And then I was like, you know, traveling to all these different businesses and seeing how they worked. And I just kind of felt like it was all surface level because I was, I was like, who am I coming in there auditing? You know, they're telling me what they want to tell me. You know, I do my job well. I think you know, obviously we're, you know, giving good opinions, but I want to know how it works. I really want to be in there and, you know, be a part of that level of the culture. And um, it was around the time when I was making a decision, I had had my first daughter um, and I was working what was called part-time by then, which was like 80% in their world, but it was 120% really um, in terms of being in public accounting and just made a decision that after seven or eight years in public accounting that I was like, I'm not on a partner track. So let me try to really learn more about what it takes to run a business. And that's when I started working for Ogilvy the first time. Um, and you know, that was a a wonderful experience, but also a bit of a culture shock because I was used to a very structured environment in public accounting and, you know, advertising is entirely unstructured in some ways, which is part of the beauty of it. Um, so I, I really got to learn the gray of life, you know, so, you know, making it work, it doesn't exist before. How do you create it? You know, that's really when my creative juices started to come together when we started doing, you know, different transactions and figuring out how to run the business or how to run clients or, you know, commercial deals. And I just I fell in love. So, um, you know, had various roles there um, over the 19 years that I was there, ending up in a worldwide role before I left uh, the first time and just loved that because I got to travel the world and see um, the work that Ogilvy um, produced and all the great leaders and the culture of David Ogilvy coming through day in and day out. Um, and, you know, eventually hit a road where I was like, I want to be a CFO. And I was the worldwide controller at that point. Um, so had a lot of um, exposure to the business in many different ways, but needed to get that extra level of deep experience in order to say that I could actually run this business at a very, at a higher level. Uh, and then, um, you know, was kind of, you know, had gone through some personal things at the time. My mother, who was a chronic diabetic, passed away um, after, you know, me looking after her for 30 years. And you just you just come to that and that road. Right. And you kind of figure out what am I going to do with my life? What do I want to do? And I wanted to, you know, I said I wanted to be a CFO, but I also wanted to be a COO. And I was like, so what do I need to do in order to, to know that piece? And I, you know, you have to you know, at one point I was like, well, I'm not that strategic. I know the numbers. I know the debit credits. I was the resident expert on, you know, all the reporting and all the accounting theory and stuff like that. But I enjoyed, again, talking to the businesses and, and working with the client negotiations. So uh, luckily at the time, um, WPP uh, was going through uh, some other changes and they pulled me to go work on another business for a while. So I learned a lot doing that, which was um, a bit of a, a transformation role. And then I walked into another transformation role. And then uh, most recently now I'm back at Ogilvy. So that's my 22 year journey um, of, of getting to where I am. <laughs> oh, you know, it's a very simple and pa- easy path. No dips and turns at all. Just, you know, 
you know, it's funny because like you say it like often nonchalantly, but like um Stacy, how many other black women are CFOs or COOs of global agencies? Yeah, no, I can't, you know, it's you know, I, I'd be lying if I say that there are many. Um was the only one in the room for many, many years. Um, had to find my voice. I, I can honestly say I probably had my, the most growth in the past five years, five or six years. Um, you know, a level of confidence that came through, a level of nuance to my authenticity that came through. And, you know, it, 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 was a, it, it propelled me to be able to be um, a, a better partner for the businesses that I was involved in and the people that I was involved in. Uh, and, you know, I think the past two years in particular, you know, where I was working at the geometry, which is you know, where we were introduced, um, I that was actually a phenomenal role because it was a truly CFO, COO role where it was a smaller entity. Um, I had a great partner in Bethann Camico and we just were like mavericks. We kind of <laughs> every function of the business and turned it around. So, um, and just to see the the fruit of your labor and to kind of just jump in and, and, and to make those hard decisions and see good results from it. I just well, always wanted to kind of prove something to myself and, and just having a great team to work with is, you know, part of, part of the magic when you're doing something like that. Yeah, but it's, it's fascinating to me because, you know, I know lots of CFOs. I know mm-hmm. lots of COOs. You were probably the first hybrid that I had ever met. And, you know, it's different sides of your brain because right. one is operations and one is finance. And, you know, operations is always, you know, there's an art and science operations and finance, you know, same, similar, but different. Right. Like, how did you find sort of leveraging like both sides of your brain to sort of execute effectively for folks? It, I found it easier because it was rooted in either the clients or the business because everything kind of centers from there. Uh, so even if I'm trying to you know, work on what's the best way to deliver on, on client work or you know, what are the metrics that we should be examining in order to make sure that we're you know, generating value for ourselves and for our clients, you've got to understand what you do. So I lived with you know, all of our business leaders day in and day out and pick their brains and and it was cross mentoring back and forth because a lot of times they needed um, guidance on, you know, the things that they should be focusing on in order to deliver on the metrics that they were accountable for. Um, Or there was, you know, true strategic things that were being thought through and connecting the dots. Like I, there's, there's two mantras that I, well, there's one particular mantra because, you know, obviously coming from a very CPA ethical background, you know, I'm always of the mindset of, you know, somebody has to be the keeper of the truth. Um, and I and I like living in that space. I like being the keeper of the truth, but it doesn't mean that I'm telling everybody's business. It's like I'm taking it in, I'm observing everything. And then I can, you know, persuade and galvanize people to the decision that is the best for the company and for our clients and for our people. And, you know, having that that tripod of understanding will allow you to make those good operational decisions that will connect into financial decisions. So sometimes one leads the other, most definitely. And having that level of gray and not being black and white, I think is one of my superpowers, but also being able to 
lay the law down when it does need to be black and white, like that's fraud. <laughs> you know, like because we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to do. Um, so, um, you know, and that's that's where I'm comfortable. You know, in order to be the authority on that, and to try to make sure to protect um, everyone involved, including myself, in, in any particular situation. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and, a, and a great way of looking at it, because I'm sure, you know, obviously it's challenging and it, it, it there is this sort of art, science and soul to doing anything, especially when you're in the agency world, which is you're at the mercy of clients keeping you or not. And also you're dealing with all kinds of personalities, which are special. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, you know, in a, in a different world, like, you know, if you're like 100% finance company, there's certain kind of um, of uh, personalities that you're going to end up encountering. But the agency world is just filled with like, you know, you know, it, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about a time where you had a challenge where you're like, okay, there's no way this is going to work. And then you found your way through. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it was COVID, right? Um, I mean, if you think about it, it was probably the time when everybody um, felt a level of challenge and, you know, working with and being responsible for, um, you know, a company, a company's financial health, the people in the company, um, you know, going through your own mental and personal reflection based off of just everything in the world happening and, you know, layer on all of the social and racial unrest. And with that, to your point, being a Black woman leading a company during all, literally, that's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And it was, you know, I was in the fetal position on a good day, (laughs) Um, but there was also a level of strength that I had to exhibit to, you know, the other members of our leadership with my partner, Beth Ann at the time, so the two of us can have a united front and being empathetic leaders, but still doing what we needed to get done. Um, both the the fun stuff and, and the not so fun stuff when you're making decisions in a company and just kind of keeping everybody, um, you know, kind of motivated in a way, but also being, uh, you know, empathetic enough to listen and give them grace for the things that can't get done right now because they have other things that they have to pay attention to. And to your point, all of the conversations around, you know, race and, you know, being a face of the company and having either my own conversations about, you know, how I felt personally and other colleagues who look like me in the company feel and not be also the person who um, is uh, disassociating herself from the rest of the company, which the majority of the company, which was the majority, is very, very incredibly difficult. And I guess the way I got through it was just rooted in humanity. It was just totally, I learned so much. I read a lot. Um, I learned a lot about myself. Because if you think about how I got there, you know, even, you know, the fact that the things that I had to do in not being who I was as a Black woman, always in boardrooms, you know, and kind of putting that veil down and making sure that people still saw me as a leader above all, 
but also was quite proud to be a black leader in the company. Um, and, 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 and resting in that and sitting with that as I led the company along was, was probably the, the greatest transformation I personally had um, through the greatest challenge I had. <laughs> Well, you know, out of all kinds of messes always come out a really incredible message. Right. And it sounds like, you know, you found Stacy in the midst of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and, and I was always exhibiting bits and pieces because um, I, I remember when the announcement came out that I was coming back to, to Ogilvy, I got such incredible messages from people that I've encountered all over during the time. And you know, when you make a big decision like that and you have the weight of the iconic brand of Ogilvy um, in your hands, you know, it's, 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 it's overwhelming. And I just felt so incredibly um, warm by all of the people who kind of reached out and kind of said, you've been training for this for years. This is, this is made for you. We're so happy for you. There's no better person for it. Um, it just kind of felt like a journey um, was, was having its right stop. And and I, and I think that's the most important thing to me right now is that I kind of um, really take charge of, of the responsibility and do the best I can. Well, that's the thing. I mean, one, we're all human. So you can only yeah. do what you can do. Right. But also, you know, you know, last year did create a reckoning for a lot of folks whereby like you're in the midst of one pandemic and then all the women, there's always been another pandemic that's been kind of underneath the surface for a lot of people. <laughs> and then that gets thrown to thrown um, out in full force. And then as senior leaders, you're like, well, now how do I respond? How do I respond as a black right. leader? And how do I do it in a way that's authentic to me? Because like, you know, that that's very hard. Because, you're, you know, I always say that Black women in business, we have two things, we have two mountains on our back. It's like the expectations of what we're supposed to do and mm -hmm. the things we actually want to do. Exactly. Uh, and where those meet and where those, dis and, and where they diverge um, is really dependent on how we choose to navigate it. Yep, yep, absolutely. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. We're so excited to have Soho Works as the sponsor for the 29 Days of Magic campaign. You know, they're designed by Soho House and their workspaces to help creative thinkers, businesses small and large, connect, collaborate, and grow. And it's where I'm recording all the episodes of 29 Days of Magic. It's a safe, wonderful, and collaborative experience. Uh, I'm currently in the Brooklyn location, but they have locations, one else in New York City, in the Meatpacking District, one in LA, five in the UK. And they give you that kind of home away from home feeling with all the tools, technology, equipment to help you do your best work. Uh, like I said, it's an amazing location, feel safe. I've you know, been able to meet some really awesome people, which you haven't been able to do a lot because of the fact of COVID. So it's been a wonderful experience being able to re record here and help build community. So if you want to find out more information about it, please go to SohoWorks.com to get more information and tell them I sent you. And now back to the show. And so along the way, I'm guessing you're like, looking back on all this, oh my gosh, this has been insane. What would you tell 25-year-old Stacey? <laughs> let's see let's think about what I was doing as 25 well I got married when I was 25 wow um, yeah so, yeah, so <laughs> here's here's the other sort of insight I'm married to my high school sweetheart 
Um, wow. Yeah. yeah so I, I kind of plan everything pretty, pretty. <laughs> you planned it properly. You're like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. So um, uh, I was getting married and, you know, was pretty comfortable in my first couple of years at PW. What would I tell her? I would tell her, um, you're good enough. Because I do think. I struggled with that and I was a I was a bit of a perfectionist and it was it drove me to work incredibly hard which and be incredibly ambitious which is great but it also drove me to um you know kind of overextend myself and and you know maybe not take the best care of myself in in a lot of different ways so I was the one that would stay there until one in the morning um to figure something out and I always wondered did I have to do that or was you know or was I just trying so you were just doing that extra because you thought you had to do the extra yeah 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 so um you know being you know one of the few black women in you know PW at the time and then I you know when I when I got pregnant uh, a year later, you know, there wasn't very many. I was a senior associate at the time, and you you, you didn't get pregnant in public accounting until you made partner. So, you oh, know, those are the rules. Yeah, <laughs> that was then. Oh, wow. You know, so you know, even kind of being the first doing that kind of felt like I had to overcompensate for my life. You know what I mean? And and I I wouldn't I wouldn't do that now. I would be much more comfortable in my own skin. And still know that I could deliver and do it all without having to, you know, triple check, double check and do everybody else's work and and stuff like that. You know, I'd learned to be a better delegator um, because I was running jobs at the time, but, you know, still not trusting my team, still figuring that I had to do a lot myself. So, yeah, I'd I'd be a lot easier on myself. That's for sure. (laughs) You know, that's so true. I mean, I hear this all the time from younger folks who are just like, I've got to get all this done by the time I'm 30. So I'm just going to work until I'm blue in the face and pass out. And you're like, that's not a good idea. It really isn't. No, no, no. I mean, I look at my children. So my children are 23 and 18 and they have so much better sense of self. And, you know, I, I hopefully I attribute that to, you know, what I've been, how I've been raising them. But um, like, you know, even the self-doubt that I may exhibit every now and again, they're like looking at me, it's like, what are you doing? You know, so they already have a level of confidence as young women, as young Black women that I didn't have at their age. And I, and I really hope that that takes them way beyond me then, because they already have something valuable on which to build off of. <laughs> they're probably pretty proud of their awesome mom, just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Them that because they see me working so much, they're like, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, you also like see this life, yeah, that's where I come from. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think it's it's such an important thing because especially now, and you know, kind of kind of into my next question, like you know, we I work, 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 and we're like, okay, how am I ever going to sleep? And yeah. then we had this madness of COVID. So what in the world do you do for your self-care? Oh, so that's the other thing that I think when we talk about, you know, kind of coming of age in, in the past five or six years, you know, I'm, you know, 
I'm a, I'm a black woman with hips and, and then all of that. So we'll never be a size four or, or six or anything. So, um, you know, always struggle with my weight, but um, I really, about five years ago, and again, it was probably dovetailed out of coming out of depression from my mom passing away, um, decided that, you know, uh, you know, again, I was gonna make myself more of a priority. So I started um, a very good, um, uh, you know, uh, like protein shake program um, that I am, I live to to this day. Uh, so I only really eat one meal a day, but I have snacks and, and eat more protein and vegetables. And then I have these wonderful protein shakes, which, which satisfy me and deliver. Um, and I've been able to lose a good amount of pounds from it. And then I just got hooked on exercise. So I am a, an avid uh, Peloton user. So I have both the bike oh. and the treadmill. Yes. So I'm, so, and I wouldn't buy the treadmill unless I saved up the cash for it because it's ridiculously expensive. Uh, so but treat I mean, yourself, put yourself first. I figured if I pay, you know, thousands of dollars for school and college tuition, I can buy something for myself. Um, just maybe. Just maybe. Just maybe. So, yeah, so I had to make sure in order to earn it, I had to make sure I worked out every day for two months before I would buy it. Um, so that was my, my gift to myself, but yeah, between the, the, the treadmill and the bike, um, I'm totally addicted. So I try to just about every morning get an hour in of something, be it that, be it meditation, which I started also a couple of years ago, which I'm still not good at to be quite frank. Um, but you know, I keep trying and, um, you know, just from sitting day in and day outs and your neck hurts, your back hurts. So I have a series of physical therapy exercises that I also try to be consistent with in order to not be miserable. But yeah, I think, and you know what, I figure when I exercise, it helps me think better. So it's just, it's the, it's the normal thing to do now. It's not something that um, I wouldn't, I would try not to do, or if I do, if I'm super busy for any reason, it's no longer, it's no more than three or four days that I would go without exercising because then I immediately feel horrible. So I need to get back on it. <laughs> So, you know, it's funny, you know, there is something to be said about like getting up and getting your workout in and then starting your day. Like it's, and there is like this sort of kick and switch that happens because same, you know, I'll never be a size, size six unless <laughs> it's like half of me. Um, and same here, hips do not lie and yeah. tell all kinds of trouble. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of go through my fits and sparts of exercise where, like, I would be totally committed, totally committed, and then fall off. Yeah. Uh, and so last year, similarly, like, I was like, okay, well, I've got nothing else better to do. I'll just join Beachbody On Demand with a couple yep. of friends of mine. And so I was doing that. Uh, and then no, October, November came, and I'm like, I'm so tired of this all. <laughs> like, and fell completely off the cliff. And but my productivity went off the cliff too. And I realized that like, when I got back on it in January, like I've been so much more energetic. I, I'm knocking out stuff a whole lot faster and I'm just feeling better. So yeah. there really is something to that, like just get it over with and just do it. Um, and don't get me wrong, I've spent probably millions of dollars in my mind on different things in order to try to, to control my weight. And, I'll, I'll tell you the other thing from a mind shift because it's really about your your brain. It's not really about the product or the or the method or the video. It's about you know your own human behavior. Um, but when I decided that I was doing it to feel better and not lose weight, that's when I became more committed. 
and the other, you know, losing weight was, was, an, you know, another effect of it all, but it was really about me feeling better. And once I made that shift, then it was easier to, to stay on it. <laughs> That's so true. It is. It, it's so true. It's like, it's not about the scale anymore. It's like, if you're feeling better, everything about your day just gets better. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. Um, and the pounds will come off. Like they right. just will. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes some time. So I have Peloton questions for you then. Cause uh-huh. like I'm on this, like, do I get one? Do I not get one? Because it's like, that's a lot of money, yeah. but you know, it's cost me a bag that I probably have in my closet. So <laughs> if, I do, if I do the math, that bag is collecting dust. So if I'm yeah. on a Peloton, at least I'd use it and not like hang clothes on it because it'd be there as a reminder of the bag that I could have bought. So, yeah, so I mean, like anything, it's the content, right? So again, I'm in, you know, I'm in a content business. So I think, you know, personally, they do a good job with having um, a myriad of different instructors. So depending upon what type of music you like, you know, whether you like male, female, you know, um, type of trainers, um, you know, however, however you want to mix, you want to mix, um, and what you're feeling like that day versus another day, um, you know, the music they've gotten licenses for mainstream music, which is great. Cause usually sometimes when you do these exercise things, it's kind of this, you know, benign music by somebody you have no idea of, you know, I'm listening to the cheap imitation version of Beyonce versus exactly, the real exactly. Beyonce. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're sitting there and they're doing a Bob Marley run. I'm gonna run to that. You know what I mean? I'm gonna. It's like, gonna clearly, like, you know, they, they have probably so, runs. Mm, exactly. Yeah, so you know, to your point, they had a Beyonce series. Like they've gotten really creative, especially with the additional demand since COVID, of really busting up their content to to you know make it more engaging for people. Um, so I, you know, I enjoy, I find the instructors very highly motivating. They've been able to be making me do stuff I wouldn't have normally thought I had the power to do. It's actually a bit of therapy too, to me, because, oh. you know, as you're exercising, they're, they're talking you through things. Like they're actually motivating you and giving you these wonderful, you know, tidbits for you to kind of guide your day. One of my favorite instructors is Alex Toussaint. And he's like, you know, he's just like, you know, inhale all the good stuff and exhale the doubt like just do it that's every day he's like don't show up to my class if you're not ready to you know to be positive and and to kind of put it through and he's like you know give me these 30 minutes and you're gonna feel good and you know my family will tell you I'll be screaming and yelling and and enjoying it like if I'm in a class full of people and it's just me with my headphones so it's all good Okay, you know, I I think it got me so so. I I do you run on the treadmill or, or is it or or is yeah. that is that? No, I love so again. So I'm not a big runner either because I have bad knees. So um, they have wonderful content where you can do like just walking. Um, you could do run walks. So if you're trying to learn how to get into a run program, they have that too. Um, there's plenty of they have strength training. They have they just added Pilates. They have a bar class. So, and I mean, and the wonderful thing is the, um, the app that goes with it. Like when I was traveling um, before, you know, the world went to whatever, um, I would just take the, my phone with the app and go to the gym in the um, hotel I was staying at and just put on the app and just ride that way. So you don't even have to be on a Peloton. You could just get the app and do the exercises as well, which are very good. So um, 
I found that and they have meditation on that too. So just about the full gamut. So yeah, I think it's cool. And then I, one of the cute things they have from a motivating perspective is they have challenges like anything else. So they'll say, you know, work out somewhere, you know, every day this month and you get a badge and, you know, human behavior, you know, behavioral mm-hmm. science, like to get a badge. <laughs> everyone knows. Everyone likes a toy. Like I, everyone loves a toy. I don't understand why people understand this. I was saying this to a client this morning. I'm like, no, you don't understand. If we give people this stuff, they're going to actually do this because everyone wants a toy. Yeah. Like we're all children underneath. It's like, yeah. So, but it's helped me at work because it's helped me figure out ways to motivate people. It's helped me figure out ways to push past through issues and 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 adversities or to manage conflict. Um, um, because you know I'm a big person on quotes. I love quotes, so I will take something that they say and incorporate it into my day in some way, shape, or form. As from if I see an opportunity to use it. Um, you know, whenever I start my Exco presentations, I always start it with a quote in order to kind of set the narrative and the storytelling so that they understand. Because, you know, sometimes when you're presenting numbers, you know, people kind of doze off. So I never like to, you know, one of the things I love about Ovary is I learned the art of storytelling there. Um, and I, you know, that's what makes me a little bit of a different um finance professional as well because you know anybody can read the numbers I need to tell you what they mean and, and help motivate us to decision making um and hear you hear what you need in the business and how I can help you the best that's a beautiful way of explaining what you do Stacey like, I have to say like you know and and also this is a great ad for Peloton <laughs> I was just thinking that I'm like oh we got a lot of unpaid media there. <laughs> <laughs> you're like wait a second because <laughs> seriously that was like I'm like wait damn <laughs> uh, I mean my whole thing is that like it's it says eight to ten weeks for it to arrive and I'm like yeah I'm spend that much money remember the whole bag analogy like I can go order that bag and it'll be here in two days <laughs> Hey, you want me to wait eight weeks I have a toddler <laughs> I can't wait that long <laughs> um but, uh, you know, it's like, you're like the, you know, funnily enough, you're like the fourth black woman I know who has one, oh. um, which is interesting, shifting demographics oh. uh, of who, who gets them. First black woman I know who has a tread, so trailblazer oh. yet again, Stacey. <laughs> uh, um, but, there, but it's fascinating to see that like that has also helped with your business productivity, because I think, again, we just, you know, I think especially when we're black women leaders, like, again, there's this supposed version of who we have to be, mm-hmm. like a perfect size, a full makeup beat, and like, you know, live and like, you know, in a glass house, and isn't that amazing? And we all know that that's just isn't who we are. I mean, it's good for some folks, mm-hmm. but, you know, everybody has a different story and a different way of, of leading. And so it's refreshing to hear uh, how you got to that got to that point and how it it helps to motivate you because I think you know your honesty is and candor are what's necessary in our business because like I think a lot of folks will think oh well she's a CFO like all she does is like read numbers and probably have a cookie <laughs> and clearly not um but, you know, the humanity that you put within the numbers and the empathy that you lead with, I think, is what people will attract, what attracts people to you. And that's and that's pretty awesome to see. Oh, thank you for that. You know, I just I give credit to um, 
you know, the two inspirational people in my in my everyday life. There's always people I admire, um, living and dead. But you know, I I had a you know my, I have a sister um, who's my best friend who wanted a baby sister and took me everywhere. Um, so I learned a lot from her, and you know, still um, have a, a tremendous amount of respect and, and love and and gratitude for her always being there in my corner and you know picking me up when when I fell down and then of course my mom you know so everybody hopefully would be um you would you hope I would hope to have everybody have the the blessing of having that level of support but people who could call you out and her favorite saying to me is always the world is okay as long as you don't weaken and I just I I said that to myself 50 million times last year as we were going through COVID and, and everything. And, um, you know, she was a woman who was very, very wise. And to this day, I keep a book of all her sayings that I'm going to give to my daughters so that, you know, she will live on forever. And, you know, I just kind of use that to guide myself. And so far, so good. <laughs> so that's beautiful. Uh, similarly, I have older brothers who did not want a baby sister. They wanted a baby brother um, and were forced to take me everywhere they got to go. And I learned a lot that way. So it's, it's, it does come in handy being the little one. Yeah. Um, you, you learn a lot um, and, and so much so, it's fascinating. Um, and what a beautiful tribute for your daughters. That's wonderful. See, you're yeah. packed full of gems, Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and my last question for you, um, do you have a give and or an ask of the audience? Oh, that's a great uh, question. Um, I would say uh, be somebody who listens. And, 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 and what I mean that is like I've, a great gift is you know, observation and, and really hearing people. So not just listening, hearing people, I want to say. Um, so no matter what you're trying to do in your life, whether it's, you know, even, a, you know, a personal thing, if it's a work thing, if it's even listening to yourself or hearing yourself, um, pausing and really trying to take in what someone else is saying or what you're saying to yourself and, and using that in a way that's powerful is, is is super, super important. And that's one of the things that um, I wish I had known earlier and am working on practicing every day. Uh, so that, that would be kind of my ask of the audience is just pause. Every once in a while, just pause and just really, really listen. Um, and you'll find a way forward through whatever you're trying to work through. <laughs> That's an awesome one and a necessary one because I think it is so hard for people oftentimes to sort of like, you don't understand what I'm saying because you're not really listening. Yeah. I was like, well, actually, did you actually listen, actively listen and really, really hear what I had to say or only hearing what you think I was saying? Yes. yes. You find great connection in, in actually listening. And it doesn't mean agreement. This connection. Nope, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> Doesn't have to. Just, just listen. You know, simple task here. Step one. Just listen. Um, wonderful. Ah, Stacy, you're such a delight. Um, oh, and, so awesome. and I really enjoyed it. 
I'm so glad. And so we'll put uh, your details in the show notes so folks can uh, connect with you and potentially find you on Peloton <laughs> and chase you around in one of your classes. Um, but but you know it's you know like I said you know this is part, you know you're one of the re- one of the folks I was so glad to able to schedule for this because I wanted folks to hear from you because I know that you were the chock full of wisdom and, and inspiration so thank you so much for being part of uh, 29 Days of Magic oh thank you so much Laura I wish you all the success more success in the world awesome and that is our show